All right, uh, we are concluding one of our collections, our teaching collections called Heart of the City. We've been talking about what does it mean to have God's heart for our city and how do we express his heart to our city. And so in honor of this, you know, I want us to understand and know our city better. And so I didn't do this last week, but today I want to present to you some fun San Francisco facts. And I want you to guess if it's true or false, okay? Here's the first one. This one's great. I mean, some of y'all will be thrilled to hear this if it's true. It is legal to be naked in San Francisco. Who says false? Paulette, unfortunately, this ain't no Seattle. It is true. It is legal to be naked. and You could be naked anywhere. It's crazy. All right, this one. Some of y'all might know this. The Golden Gate Bridge was originally supposed to be painted black and white. True or false? False? Who says true? Isaac, true? You are absolutely wrong. False. The original colors were actually black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow. All right, a few more. The cable car brakes, you know, the the famous cable cars in San Francisco, the brakes are replaced every three days. True or false? Guys, guess what? It's true. Isn't that crazy? Last one. This is my favorite. The term sugar daddy was coined here in San Francisco. Of course. That sounds so San Francisco. Of course, sugar daddy was coined here. Oh, man. So, yeah, today we're concluding our Heart of the City collection. And, you know, we've been talking about what it means to carry and express God's heart for the city. We talked about what it means to be a lover of the city and not just a consumer or a a commuter. We talked about what it means to be a good neighbor, both metaphorically and literally. We tackled gentrification and the gospel last week. And I just got to say, 99, you inspire me. Man, it's been so cool seeing people in our community catch God's heart for our city. I mean, I've heard of people learning their neighbors' names for the first time and inviting them over for dinner, getting to know them. I've heard of people looking for organizations here in the city to volunteer at. I've heard of people going on prayer walks throughout the neighborhoods. I've heard of people educating themselves about gentrification and cycles of poverty, reading up books and articles. I am so proud of you, 99, of our community, because I feel like God is really downloading his heart for our city into us. And I believe that God is ingraining this into our hearts. Whether you're here for 10 years, Jesus please, or 10 months, I believe that this is something that God wants us to go after. Whether it's here in San Francisco or Seattle or Portland or New York. No more New York, God. But whoever it is, I believe that wherever it is, God is giving you a heart to see what he is doing right there. And so today, um, I'm going to switch pace. I never really preached a sermon like this, but I'm going to switch it up a little, a little bit. I thought it would be fitting to conclude our collection by asking God for a radical, God-sized vision for our city. And the question that we're going to ask is this, God, what does revival in San Francisco 
look like? Now, before you roll your eyes, because I know for some reason a lot of people that have grown up in the church come to our church. Before you roll your eyes, I know many of you have baggage with the word revival. I mean, I know many of us might have prayed for revival for years and years, only to realize we had no idea what the hell we were praying for the entire time. There was a season many years ago where I was fasting an entire year. I fasted an entire year of meat. And I love meat, but I fasted it for an entire year, praying for revival for our city. And I remember at the end of my fast, I sat down and I really thought about it because I was really hungry and I was sick of eating soy and, and all these gluten stuff. And I was saying, God, God, what, what am I really praying for? And I realized I have no idea what revival even looks like. I have no idea what I'm actually praying for. And I think most of us, when we talk about revival for our cities, we actually have no idea what we're talking or praying about. It's just this nice, abstract, conceptual idea that sounds good, that sounds like something we should be praying for as Christians, but what does it actually look like? Does it look like in Times Square, um, a giant worship team rocking out and people coming and falling and crying? Like, what does revival in a city look like? To, to put it more simply, let me rephrase it this way. Maybe a better question we could ask is this. What would a mass, momentous move of God in our city look like? I think it's really hard to envision, but luckily we can draw from history. Did you know that San Francisco has a history of revival? That might be shocking news to you because most people, they used to call San Francisco just a decade ago the church graveyard, where churches come to plant and die. Luckily, we are not dead yet, so we are doing better than most. But did you know that San Francisco has a, has a history of revival? There have been big moves of God right here in our city where thousands came to know Jesus, where people's lives were radically transformed in the very streets we walk through today, movements that have impacted even the way that we do church here today. And so today, um, I'm going to kind of switch up the pace and we're going to do more of a, a historical dive. We're going to look at one particular revival in San Francisco's history during what was known as the Summer of Love. And my prayer is that God gives you a vision of revival for our city, what it could look like, that we would be inspired to pray for and believe the same God who did it before, that he would do it again. And so let me pray for us, and then we're going we're gonna to hear about Jesus freaks. Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are. We pray that you would come and fill this house. God, I pray that you would give us a vision for revival, for a move of God here in San Francisco. And some of us, it's hard to visualize what that could look like, but I pray as we look at the most recent revival here in our city, you would give us glimpses, ideas of what it could look like to see a mass, momentous move of God right here where we live. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all ready for some history? I love history. 
The late 1960s marked one of the most tumultuous periods in American history. There were anti-war protests of the Vietnam War raging throughout the country. The nation was grieving the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Race riots were uh, popping up all across the nation. I mean, we we think what we're experiencing these days are new, but no, this was happening in the late 60s. Add to that, it was the height of the sexual revolution free love, and there was increased, more than ever, increased access to psychedelic drugs. And so you throw all that in a melting pot, and you know that something is brewing, something is happening here in America. And in response to all of these things happening, a counterculture was born. And it was a growing movement of hippies that rejected mainstream America, that were unsatisfied with conformity and materialism, and they were unsatisfied with the modern-day American life. And all of this culminated in the summer of 1967. None of us were born. Yeah, of course not. 1967, where over 100,000 hippies flocked to San Francisco in the Hayton-Ashbury neighborhood for what was known as the Summer of Love. How many of you have been to Hayton-Ashbury? Now it's just like you just go shopping there, right? And there's cool music stores there, record stores, clothes stores. I bought my Doc Martens there. Like most people just go there for those things. But in 67, 100,000 hippies from throughout the United States flocked to Hayton-Ashbury in what was known as the Summer of Love. Now, the Summer of Love, I have a picture, was marked by hippie music, anti-war protests, free love, and lots and lots of psychedelic drugs. People came to San Francisco for the sole purpose of breaking free from the confining structures of middle-class American life. It was basically a big FU to the white picket fence, the big suburban American dream. These people were saying, that's not enough for me. I want to break free from the confines of that. And so San Francisco was a magnet for the weirdos, the outcasts, the discontent, the ones who didn't fit in to the cookie-cutter mold of American living. And they came to indulge in free love, sleeping with whoever they want, finding love with whoever they want, finding community, and dropping lots and lots of acid. Okay? And so that's just a recipe for something special happening here in the city. But as amazing as that was for many people, finding new community, finding love, um, getting extremely, extremely high, the summer of love also brought with it many problems as well. The Hayton-Ashbury neighborhood today holds roughly 45,000 people. So imagine the residents there plus 100,000 people crowding that one small little neighborhood that today houses 45,000 people. It was overcrowding. There was crime. There was sexually transmitted diseases left and right. There was really bad drug trips, and people became homeless and hungry and sick. They would say every night thousands of penniless penniless young people would crash wherever they could find a bed or sleep on the streets. And months of drug experimentation, free love, and life on the streets began to take its toll on many who had come to San Francisco to find something more. 
And eventually the high of the drugs wore off. Eventually free love left people feeling emptier than when they came. And the reality of hunger and homelessness began to set in. Many people were left reeling from their traumatic experiences of sexual assault, which were really prevalent in many of these hippie communes. And what were left were thousands upon thousands of burnt out hippies here in San Francisco. And so while the summer of love started with the wave of optimism, love, and freedom, F you America, we're going to find our own way, it fizzled out and left people disillusioned and empty. However, no one knew that this would be the very setting, the backdrop for one of the biggest revivals here in San Francisco. This gave rise to a phenomenon an unlikely revival in the heart of San Francisco known as the Jesus People Movement. How many of you have heard of the Jesus People Movement? Just a few, just a few, few. Okay, it's okay. In a surprise twist, the summer of love became known for sex, drugs, and Jesus. The best combination, I might even call my message that, sex, drugs, and Jesus. People began giving their lives to Jesus in unprecedented numbers. People began uh, forsaking promiscuous sex and laying down their drugs, committing to a radical pursuit of God. One of the common chants of the day, just imagine we're together in a large group. One of the common chants was, what will get you higher than acid? What will keep you up longer than speed? And they would chant that again and again because they had found something more meaningful, more high, more, more um, ecstatic, ecstatic, more ecstatic, I guess that's the word, than drugs. And a new wave of hippie evangelists began to sweep the streets and preach in the streets. Thousands of people were being baptized in the oceans. Even here in the cold waters of Ocean Beach, we ain't no SoCal, y'all. It's cold up in there, but thousands of people were wanting to give their lives to Jesus, being baptized in our oceans. Worship was erupting throughout the neighborhoods. Believers began caring for the poor, the hungry, and the homeless. Racial and socioeconomic barriers were broken as people came together in pursuit of God. And these Christians became known by many as the Jesus people or the term that I actually love to use, Jesus freaks. Come on, if you've grown up in church, you had that Jesus freak album, right? Jesus freaks, they were known as the Jesus people, the Jesus freaks, and they gained national publicity known for the radical heart for God. They're on the front cover of Time and Life magazine. Can you imagine a revival in San Francisco on a national publication like Time or Life magazine? How crazy was that then? How crazy would it be now? But what's notable about the Jesus people or the Jesus freaks, were not, they were not only countercultural to the world's culture, but in many ways they were countercultural to the culture of the church of their day. At the time, many people in the church were disturbed by the Jesus freaks who kept their hair long, they walked barefoot, they wore baggy jeans and continued listening to Bob Dylan. And it, it's probably how the evangelical church today responds to face-tatted SoundCloud rappers, right? They were freaked out by them, and they didn't know what to do with them. At the time, while the church largely frowned upon worldly entertainment and music like rock and pop, the Jesus people embraced it. 
While many in the mainstream church dismissed those things as the devil's music, the Jesus people reclaimed it as powerful tools for worship and the gospel. Instead of singing age-old hymns, they wrote new worship songs that sounded like the music of their day. Organs were replaced with electric guitars and drums. One, three clap measures were replaced with spontaneous dance. Come on, if you grew up in an immigrant church, you know the one, three clap structure, right? It's like... Right? You would sing every song that it was replaced by spontaneous dancing and joy. A new sound of worship was emerging. You know, we forget that just 50, over 50 years ago, the style of worship music that we're used to didn't emerge until fairly recently. You wouldn't hear music like the music that you hear in today's service here played in church 50 years ago. You ever sing the song Refiner's Fire? That's a classic, right? Or All Who Are Thirsty? refiner's fire my heart's one desire like all those classic songs that most of y'all grow up who grew up in church know those songs were written by the vineyard movement that was directly birthed from the jesus people movement who directly inspired Hillsong and Elevation and a lot of the worship songs we sing today think about that the revival here in san francisco is the reason why we're able to sing a lot of the songs that we sing in church today and while church services in the mainstream at the time were more rigid and structured and serious, worship among the Jesus people was more casual and laid back and spontaneous. Suits and dresses were replaced by jeans and t-shirts. Church was no longer clean, neat, and perfectly presented. People could finally come as they were. It was messy and raw, but it was real. Man, I would get kicked out of the church wearing this. But because of the Jesus people, they brought a new subculture to the church. All of a sudden, things began changing. Church programs were thrown out so that people could follow the spontaneous leading of the Holy Spirit during church. Our modern-day expression of church owes a lot to the Jesus people movement. I mean, Ying coming in as gym attire, he wouldn't be able to do that. Being able to come to church in jeans and yoga pants and T-shirts, the worship songs we sing from Hell Song to Elevation to Maverick City, a more open embrace and integration of culture instead of a rejection of it. These are all birthed from this unlikely revival here in a small neighborhood in San Francisco. One of my favorite stories from this revival, there's one couple um, named Ted and Elizabeth Wise, and they played a significant role in this revival. In the early 60s, they moved to San Francisco. They were living in a small commune, and their marriage were was barely surviving because they were doing heavy drug experimentation. There was a lot of infidelity in their marriage, along with domestic violence. And in desperation, the wife, Elizabeth, began attending a small Baptist church in Mill Valley. And she met Jesus there, and all of a sudden, her life was radically transformed. Oh, hold on. I got to take this call real quick. My sister-in-law is at her house. Okay. And Elizabeth, she found God and eventually led her husband to the gospel as well, and they were radically transformed. And then in 1967, in the summer of love, they moved back into the Hayton-Ashbury neighborhood. And their strategy, their heart was, we want to help all of the hippies that are coming here meet Jesus and experience the love of God. And so you know what their strategy was? They opened up a coffee house called The Living Room, 
where they served free food and offered a place of rest for those hippies needing a break from the streets. I mean, we think we're so innovative these days, like Christians starting coffee shops, you know, calling it cute little names like he brews and stuff like that. No, these guys were doing it. They innovated it. They pioneered it. They had these coffee shops that that would house all these burnt-out hippies, give them food and rest, and then share the love of God and the gospel with them. And there was story after story of people encountering Honoring the love of God in these coffee shops as they received a hot meal and a warm bed. People were coming to meet Jesus, and God was radically transforming lives. And this became one of the primary strategies that emerged from the Jesus People movement. All of a sudden, hundreds of other communes and coffee shops were being emerged. They sprung up all doing the same thing, providing food and shelter for the weary, offering the good news of the gospel for the lost And most people were so drawn to this at the time because the Jesus people presented a radically different Christianity than preached in most churches at the time. See, the Jesus of the summer of love that they presented was so different from the Jesus that the mainstream church at the time was pushing. Jesus was a radical revolutionary who had come to serve the poor, bring about racial harmony, oppose war and violence, and challenge the political establishment. This was not the cute, clean-shaven, white Jesus that they grew up in church knowing. This was a radical Jesus coming to love and care for the outcast. They preached a Jesus who hung out with the outcasts, the criminals, the prostitutes, the gays, while leading a movement for peace and justice. A Jesus that didn't care about being clean-shaven or having it all together and putting on a nice Christian smile. A Jesus that truly met people where they were at. And as a result, thousands upon thousands came to know Jesus. This movement radically transformed not only our city, not only the nation, but the way that we do church here today. This is the legacy of our city this these are the roots of the church of the movement of god here in san francisco i know a lot of you grew up in san francisco thinking man this is the most unchristian place in the world i know a lot of you moved here and your workplace is feeling like where are all the saints of god at where are all the believers who are on fire i know many people come here and say this is a place where god has left no There's a history of God moving powerfully in the very streets we walk through every day, right here in the mission. Everywhere that we go, God has touched this city before. And I believe that he could do it again. I believe in just learning about this and studying it, I believe that many of the conditions that led to the Jesus people movement exist right here today. A polarizing political atmosphere. Come on, hello, 2020. Racial unrest across the nation at a height like it's never been before. A growing discontent for modern day living. How many of us have been making our way through up the ladder in our tech companies and organizations only to run ourselves into the ground and feeling burnt out? How many of us have tried living life on our own terms, complete freedom, I'm going to do whatever I want, I'm the Lord of my own life, only to find ourselves completely empty and dissatisfied, realizing we're horrible masters of our own lives. Maybe this might ring true with you. How many of us have grown discontent with the way that we do church, feeling like there must be something more. Listen, if the pandemic revealed anything, it's that many of the ways that we're doing church must 
change. We cannot ignore justice. We cannot ignore racism. We cannot ignore the oppressed and the unseen. What led to revival in San Francisco a few decades ago was a growing discontent for the status quo. And I believe right now in this hour, not just in the church, but across the nation, there is a growing discontent for the status quo, that things cannot remain as they are. And just because this is a sermon and I got to do it, I got to throw in a scripture. Romans 12, 2, it just reminds me of this passage that Paul, when he's speaking to the Roman church, he says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And listen, because I am a millennial, I love the message version version of this. And this is what it says. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. The Jesus people were marked by the heart of this very passage. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. But I also love that they were saying we will also not conform to the ways of doing church that have not been working. We will not do conform to the ways of doing church that have not yielded the fruit of the gospel that God calls us to. The Jesus people were marked by a bold refusal to conform What would God do with our holy discontent? What could God do in our city with our refusal to conform, not just to the ways of the world, but even to the ways that we have grown comfortable and apathetic here in the church, the place where there's supposed to be life and thriving? What could God do with our discontent? These are our spiritual roots here in San Francisco. A Jesus people who so boldly followed God no matter how different, how weird they looked. A people who will conform not just to culture but to transform it. A people who will not slump into a comfortable, nice, and neat Christianity. You know, one of the things we felt God highlight in our church um, very early on was this. He told us that he wanted us to be a church for the rebels and the runaways. I just love it. It sounds so badass. Like, thank you, God. That's a cool vision statement for the rebels and the runaways. And what we felt like he was telling us, we're called to disciple all those who have rebelled and run away from God and church and faith. All those who have been burnt out on religion, disillusioned from what church is. You know, a lot of people who have been burnt by the church or have been discontent in the church actually do wind up here in our community. But as I was preparing this teaching, I found another way to look at this, a church for the rebels and the runaways. What if God is calling us 
to be the rebels of our modern day society who refuse to conform to what's normal and comfortable, the rebels who will pave a new way in the spirit, even in the church. I believe that God wants to pour out revival again in San Francisco. God did it before. Why not again? Do you know there are people here in San Francisco that have been praying for this very thing ever since the summer of love? We, uh, I was part of a parachurch ministry doing some stuff here in San Francisco, and one day we partnered with what was known as the San Francisco House of Prayer, and we had a prayer meeting in praying for revival for our city. And you know, you could tell a lot about who someone is and what they're like and how they show up to the prayer meeting. And so I remember we were just in that prayer meeting, just chilling, just praying, worshiping, and these guys came in. And these are like what you would think grown-up hippies look like. Like they had long white beards, flowing long hair. And you know what type of prayer warriors they are when they come in with a ram's horn, a shofar on their back. And they came in and they just ready to do battle. One of them came in with a vial of anointing oil. Like, oh shoot, these guys are the real deal. They've been doing this. And they were telling us, we have not stopped praying for revival in San Francisco since 1967. Think about that. That's over 50 years of faithful prayer from people who tasted what it could look like when God comes to a city like ours and moves in powerful ways. And they have not stopped praying. I believe that God is faithful. He cannot help himself but respond to the faithful ones. Listen, I've been praying for San Francisco maybe for like five years, right? We started ministry here in 2016. I can't hold a candle to these guys. These guys have been praying. They've been sowing into the spirit what so many of us are now starting to taste. I remember when I was in UC Davis, you know, we thought we were, man, there was a move of God in our college ministry. We thought we were so radical and revolutionary, like people were coming to our gatherings, getting saved, uh, experiencing healing and deliverance. We thought, man, God is really moving. We're here to bring revival. And the same thing happened at one of our prayer meetings. These OGs walked in, and you could just tell when they opened the door, there was like a, a smell of like fine-aged wine. Like they're not the cheap stuff. They've been aging. They've been doing the thing. And they told us, we have not stopped praying for UC Davis for decades. I was like, wow, who are we to think we're coming in and bringing in a movement of revival? No, God has been stirring it up here. Listen, many of the immigrant churches that some of us grew up in, God has been moving in those churches that we call dead. No, God has been moving in that very congregation for decades. He is doing something here in San Francisco. I believe that the next big move of God in our city will come from the most unexpected people. In the 60s, it was the burnt out hippies that didn't fit in the church mold. I'm trying to think today, who are the ones the unexpected ones, the ones that you wouldn't see in church that God is looking at right now saying, this is who I'm going to use. I believe if any city, San Francisco, man, we are weird. I mean, you could be naked anywhere in our city. This is the city of weirdos and outcasts, the ones that the world has overlooked. Why not our city? Why not those who have been overlooked, historically segregated from the church? Why not those who the world overlooks, but God looks at and says, I will use them. 
One of my buddies, Jason, he's in Southern California. He's been doing this year-long initiative, working with local churches throughout the entire Southern California region. And what their goal was, was we want to, we want to erase millions of dollars in medical debt. We want to get the most vulnerable children in Los Angeles who don't have parents to get fostered um, by good families. And recently, their one-year initiative is going to end uh, at the end of this month with the big stadium event. But they are already able to erase $25 million in medical debt in one year. 1,400 families have pledged to take their first steps to foster or adopt LA's most vulnerable children. And get this, this is crazy. It was a God moment. I was talking to him, and he's like, guess what? For the big event that's going to end it, you know, we're going to rent out a stadium, all this and that. Um, headlining Justin Bieber, Chance the Rapper, at a Christian event meant to spread the gospel in Los Angeles. Man, God is doing something there. And I believe that God, it doesn't have to be a big event. I feel like San Francisco actually wouldn't like that. We're so like, oh, no, that's so mainstream. I believe God is going to do something here in San Francisco. But he's looking for the burning ones. He's looking for the Jesus freaks, the Jesus people who will say, I will not conform to the culture of our world, but I will also not just conform to the culture of the church. I'll challenge it until we look more like the body that Jesus died for. What are the ways that we have conformed to our culture? What are the ways that we have conformed to fast food faith Christianity? Oh, my God, so cute. Sorry. Um, So I'll close with this. Um, I do really feel like the atmosphere right now is ripe for a move of God. And I actually have no idea what it's going to look like. I mean, if God used burnt-out hippies, he might use tweaked-out Gen Zers. I don't know what it's going to look like. Maybe God's going to use TikTok for revival. Who knows? But I do believe that God could do it. The God who did it before can do it again. And so I want us to look at our city with a little more admiration, that we have roots here in the very place we call home, where God really moved not too long ago, just a little over 50 years ago. I believe that he could do it again. And so right now, why don't we close our eyes, and I just want to give you a time to meditate and respond. I don't know about you, but as I read about the Jesus freaks, I was extremely challenged Because in many ways, I am the quintessential good church boy, right? I am the good church boy. I am the one that grew up in church, knows how church goes. But I wonder what the holy discontent at this moment is. What about the way that we do church needs to change? What about the way that we do ministry needs to evolve or pivot? Right now, why don't you take a moment and ask God, God, what... What is the discontent that I feel, not just for the body of Christ, but just in my city in general? Because I believe that you could use that. Right now, God, would you speak to our hearts? God, would you pinpoint if there's any holy discontent that you want us to lead into? God, would we be like the Jesus people, the Jesus freaks, who weren't afraid to say no to culture, to say no to the world, to say no to conformity. Instead, who are open enough and bold enough to say, God, I believe you're doing something new. I believe you're doing something bigger. What in your heart right now is God calling you to lean into? What is he challenging you to do? How is he challenging you to change the way that you live?
God, would you release creativity as you did for Ted and Elizabeth Wise? Would you birth coffee houses and art projects, music and film? Would you birth poetry and books and writing? God, would you birth so many beautiful expressions of your heart? And right now, would you just take a moment? It doesn't have to be loud, but can we begin contending for our city? Listen, if you're not from San Francisco, maybe you could pray for whatever your city is home. But can we just pray right now in one voice, God, would you do it again? Would you move in our city? Would you move across the streets? Would people encounter the love of Jesus? Man, and it's not even about getting people into the church, but God, would you flood the streets with your presence? Would you flood the streets with Jesus' people who share the love of God, who share a radically different message than the message of this world? Right now, just begin praying for your city. Come on, in one voice. God, we pray over San Francisco. God, we pray over Seattle. God, we pray over every city represented here. God, we pray over Portland. God, we pray over New York City, over Los Angeles. God, we pray over all of these cities that are on your heart. And we ask you, God, would you do it again? God, would you move across our cities? Would you move across our nation? God, so that people can radically encounter the love of God, people who have tried the ways of this world and felt the discontent. And God, would you fill their hearts with a new awareness of your presence that we can find richness and fullness in you. God, would you move upon your church? Would you move upon your believers? Would you move upon your sons and daughters to release your kingdom, to be outposts for your kingdom here in San Francisco, here in the cities that we dwell in? God, would you do it again? Would you move. We believe that the God who did it before can do it again. So we ask you to do it, God. The last thing I want you to ask yourself as we reflect, God, what about my life do do I need to reorient to be open for your move? What about my life do do I need to reorient or Or maybe it's a different posture I need to take so that I don't miss what you're doing. God, would you speak to hearts right now? Would you speak to the holy discontent? And would you move, God? Give us the heart of the Jesus people. Make us Jesus freaks. We love you, God. We give you the highest praise. And in Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.